no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it does the most wonderful time of the Christmas preparations come in many forms. Your favorite songs, your favorite ornaments, lights, food, friends, and family. This year, during the month of December, we will be preparing by looking at four songs from the Gospel of Luke. These songs, written in preparation and response to the birth of Jesus, will help prepare our own hearts to receive the gift that He is. Christmas, North Shore? Good. I like the exuberance that you're doing that with. I think you kind of know that I'm going to condition you for that. Um, a couple of announcements. One is an announcement that is way too early, but not really. And that is our 2021 trip to Israel. Okay? Now here, you know it's quite a big trip. cost a little money. So we like to do a layaway plan so that everybody can go. And here's the deal, okay? Uh, I had uh, the pleasure, privilege of going this last trip. <clears throat> and I'm going to say this. Um, I believe every Christian should make the trip. I think it's that significant in your life. To Way over here in the West, we, you know, even if you believe with your whole heart, to go in there and walk in the very footsteps of where Jesus walked, to touch things. I mean, it becomes so real. The story... Um, gets very, very real, very, very historical and powerful. So I want to encourage you. It's one of those things that you have to put on your bucket list. And again, not cheap. So start putting money away for it. And so what an amazing Christmas gift to say, hey, we're going to start doing this. And to add to that announcement, uh, just last week, um, uh, Sanjay, who spoke, our teaching pastor, right, he leads trips for Moody all in that region, he is going to go on our trip in 2021 and lead that. And so that just takes that trip to a whole nother level, okay? So make sure you go on the trip. Uh, we're excited. Uh, so Connection Central, they can let you know. Contact me or Lisa um, Jacobs through the church website, and we'll get that information. In February, we're going to have kind of an uh, inaugural meeting to talk about it just so you can um, uh, look at it. So encourage you to watch for that, okay? Um, the next announcement, I want to thank my wife. And it's this, is Friday night we had a North Shore family Christmas, and it was amazing. I mean, to have the community, a lot of you, uh, it was amazing. We had an FX, a family experience in here. Uh, amazing, amazing night. And I know her team leads it up, and a lot of the other ministries do that. And I just want to thank you. I love it, love it, love it when we get to shine a light for Jesus in our community. Uh, and, and it was just powerful there. So good job, Sandy and team. Yeah, come on. <clears throat> Yeah, give it up to her. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and we will get a Bible in your hand. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. But before I start, i got to tell you, you are probably getting to know this Christmas season that I love Christmas. I mean, I'm 
get pretty excited about Christmas. And when I first discovered this, it was probably in about the fifth grade. Um, and I was in 4-H. A lot of our neighbors had horses. We didn't, but our neighbors did. So they invited us in, actually lent me uh, this old broken horse uh, so that I could go be in 4-H. And we went around to fairs and showed. Some of you city kids don't know what 4-H is, I don't think, but it's kind of this little country kid thing we do. It's awesome. And so I did that, right? And so one year, again, about fifth grade, fourth grade maybe, um, the leader said, hey, we're going to go Christmas caroling. Great. Going to go Christmas caroling. I like the Christmas carol, okay? And so we practiced, and the night before we were going to go to a nursing home and Christmas carol, she said, well, let's record ourselves so we know how we sound and we can kind of tune up if we need to. Okay, great. And so she got a cassette recorder. Some of you older folks know what that means, right? You had to simultaneously record this thing with a cassette, puts it down, we sing, play it back. And the only thing you can hear is a young Scott Harris in his crackly, squeaky voice, no other voice you could hear, booming out, bursting out Christmas carols, right? It's like, whoo. So we kind of laughed about that and said, okay, well, let's try it again. So I took it, you know, down a level um, and we did it again. She went, push play. Guess what you heard? The booming voice of young Scott Harris cracking, nowhere near key. I don't know what key is, um, but there was Christmas spirit, right? Um, so she lovely says, huh. So, okay, Scott, why don't you go to the back row um, and, and, and whisper? Okay, so I went back, and they were great, right? So it wasn't abuse. I'm okay. Um, and so I went back there, and I whispered, and I controlled myself. We recorded it. They played it back. And ah, everybody else sounded pretty good. Okay, so good. So we're excited. So we go to the nursing home, and we're going to Christmas carol. And we're walking down the hall, and we come to the first room. And out walks this little old lady. You know, she's got this Christmas sweater. I still remember these Christmas earrings and this huge smile. And oh, I felt welling up in me. I felt welling up. And I'm, <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? So they say, okay, go. And I said, all chains off. I'm going, and boom, I burst that baby out, and I sang those Christmas carols all through that place. And so for 4-H, there's a big running joke about my great Christmas caroling, but there was a song in my heart that just had to come out, and it burst out. And I think it's good that God had us in a nursing home, because I don't think those folks could hear all that well. So, right? So, so I think it was good. It was good. And so we're going to look yeah, these songs of Christmas. So we're going to look at a song, a Christmas song that just burst out of somebody. Uh, but let's start with prayer, okay? Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we love you. And we just trust your word. And I just pray that you'd speak to each of us. Father, as we land here, we bring so many different things here. But what is common in this space is you. Jesus' work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that um, as we tune our hearts to you, uh, that you would do a good work in each life. So I pray that uh, these would be your words and not my words, and you just do uh, a, a powerful work throughout this place. And we just give this time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So um, we're going to talk about uh, the announcement to really set up this song, Zachariah's song in Luke chapter 1. It starts with the, the visit of an angel. Now, Zechariah is an old guy, really old guy. Uh, he's a priest. 
and he has great favor. He's a righteous man before everybody. He's married to Elizabeth, his wife, who is also righteous and has a great name in the community. She's barren, can't have children. And as a priest, there's a lot of priests, just so you know, okay, a lot of priests. And what their job is to go take care of the temple. And so, and they serve two weeks of the year, one week at a time. And so he is serving one of his weeks, and he gets the call of a lifetime for a priest, okay? Because he gets to enter the temple, and there's two places, the holy place and the holy of holies. And only the high priest can go to the holy of holies. But the other priest, if, by casting lots, they once in a, maybe once in a lifetime, probably not, get to go into the holy place and offer the prayer of incense. It's the prayer uh, on behalf of the people to intercede for them, to, to see what God has to say to them. And he gets to do this. So Zechariah goes in for the special moment. He's excited. He's going to go into the altar of incense, and he's going to pray on behalf of the people. And I can't imagine what he must be feeling. And then it gets different. An angel, Gabriel, appears to the right of the altar and starts speaking to him. Uh, here's what the angel says. Powerful message for him. Luke 1, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not have drink, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And as I said, Zechariah was old. He's like, his wife is barren, Elizabeth. And he says in a lack of faith, in a moment of weaknesses, how can this be? How can this be? And Gabriel, the angel, said, I have brought you a message from God himself of good news. Uh, and so for your disobedience, you are going to be muted. His speech taken away. The remote grabbed, right? The mute button pushed. I'd call this like a, he was given a timeout. Until this is going to be fulfilled, you're going to have time out. So Zechariah walks out of the temple, can't speak ever. He's anticipating and excited about the word that God has spoken to him on their behalf. And he's like, I don't know what that must look like. He's motioning and trying to make signs. Like, and so he finishes the job and goes home. Elizabeth conceives. She gets pregnant. And six months into her pregnancy, she gets a visit from a relative named Mary, young Mary who is pregnant with the Messiah, with Jesus. And Mary stays for three months. Sanjay talked about this last week, did an amazing job of talking about this. And so this baby 
comes, and, and so what is the arrival ceremony? Just so you know how when a baby is born, a Jewish firstborn boy, um, what happens is it's kind of like a community event, if you would. Mom gives birth, right? And then there's a purification period for eight days, and then the child is circumcised and then named. So the whole community, all the relatives. Have you ever seen that show, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? I think you can kind of, that kind of gives you a little scene of what this is probably like. Everybody's gathering. They got something to say. They're fired up. They're excited. Because uh, the, the beloved Zechariah and Elizabeth, who she was barren, has a child. This is incredible. This is amazing. And so it comes to name the child. And they said, of course, the child's name will be Zechariah. He had such a good name. And this is such a miracle that, of course, they're going to have the family stamp which is very fitting, what they, you'd think they would do. And Elizabeth says this, no, his name will be John. And they're like, John? How Hebrew does that sound? John, right? Um, and they look to Zechariah over there who can't speak. And they're like, what's up? John? And he grabs a tablet. And he writes this, his name is John, shows him. And right then, because of his obedience, he understands what he heard. He is going to step out in faith. You see, I heard, and this baby's name will be John. And it's John the Baptist, the baptizer as we know. And what happens is cool. So his time is done. His tongue is loosed. He is free to speak. And what he does is he praises God. And a song, a Christmas song on that first Christmas so is welled up in him, right? And it just comes out and it's burst out because he has to share what he discovered. So let's look at Zechariah's song. If you look at chapter 1 in Luke, we're going to look at the song of a father, Luke 1. Starting in verse 67. Verses 67 and 68, he starts off, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed or, or praised, praise be the Lord, praise God of Israel, for he has finished and redeemed his people, past tense. What he is acknowledging here is that God has visited he met him in the womb. He heard about this. Mary came over and all the conversations they had and Jesus, Messiah, he met him. He's proclaiming the gospel. So this gospel just had come out. It just burst out of him in this gathering. Have you ever had good news and you just couldn't wait to tell people? This last week, uh, about a week and a half ago, I came back from vacation, and there was a card on my desk. So I get it, I open it up, and as I open it, something falls out. Um, and I start reading the card, and it was from someone on Orcas Island, where I came from before here. I hadn't spoke to for five and a half years. And I start reading this card, and these beautiful, encouraging words to me and my wife uh, regarding being called to be lead pastor here. It was awesome. And, of course, I recognized what fluttered out was a check. So I grabbed it, turned it over, and my jaw dropped. 
And so I'd like to announce my resignation right now. No, no, <clears throat> no, no, no. It wasn't that way. It was generous. That's what I said. It was generous. And I looked at that, and I thought, man, you know, uh, those words are priceless. And this gift was generous, and I couldn't wait to tell my wife, Sandy. So I packaged the card up, you know, tried to make it look like I didn't open it, right? Um, I know. Um, is that a lie? I don't know. Um, uh, anyway, so we uh, go home that night, and um, she's doing her thing. So I try to put it kind of in front of her so she'd run into it, right? And, man, she just would not get it. I'm like, I'm watching. I just feel it just bursting. I'm like, ah, this is an incredible card. You know, love these words. And I finally say, hey, see that card? She's like, you know, she opens it up and has the same experience I had. Uh, and that's what good news does when you have it. And think of Zechariah, okay? Israel had not heard from the Lord, from God, for 400 years. For 400 years, God has been silent since Malachi, the prophet, Old Testament, until that time in the temple, by that altar, and that angel Gabriel spoke to Zechariah, silent. <laughs> then he gets this news. Then he has nine months of being muted. He's going nuts. He's going crazy. He can't wait. And you see this thing just burst out, this Christmas song, this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He can't wait. And it just comes flooding out of him in this song. So let's look at this song and see what we might be able to learn from it. The first thing we see that this is a song of a promise. Verse 69. It's a song of a promise. And as he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and he, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. So we see this, this song of a promise. It, it's the gospel promise that Zacharias wants to shout out and speak. speak. He says this, is Messiah is here. The gospel promises there's going to be a Messiah. And Zechariah is saying, he's here. I've encountered him. He visited. He redeemed us. Jesus is here. And you know what he did? He, he's a priest. He knew all of the Old Testament prophecies and how they would channel into Messiah. And they would recognize and understand and, and identify when Messiah came. All the prophets talked about it. Abraham promised it. It was going to be in the line of David. And Zechariah sat for three months as young Mary talked about Messiah, Jesus, being in her womb. And he knew of her lineage. He says, this is it. The promise has been fulfilled. Messiah, Jesus, is here. You know, for us today, our gospel promises, we know Jesus is here. It's a historical fact. What you make of that historical fact is a journey of faith and discovery. But it's a historical fact that Jesus is here. But in Matthew 1, 23, 
and says, his name shall be Emmanuel, which is God is with us. This is just any old birth. This is God himself is with us. That's our gospel promise, that God is with us. And before Jesus, after his resurrection, before he ascends into heaven, he says to his followers this in Matthew 28, 20. He says, I will be with you always until the end of the age. End of the age is when he returns again. So our gospel promise is this, that Jesus is with us. He's here right now. God is with us. This is no average gathering. God is here. God is with us. It's power. We have this promise. And as I was thinking about promise, and I said, what's the best way to illustrate it? And I just thought of marriage. And so when I do pre-marriage counseling and marriage counseling, I talk a lot about commitment because it's important. Okay? And so commitment or promise, it's important to a marriage. Uh, because this, when uh, someone makes a commitment, like for my wife, I tell her all the time, uh, till my dying breath, I'll be her husband. Okay, and she can take that to the bank because uh, what happens when you have that promise before you and that commitment, you get to bring your true self to it. You're not afraid. You don't have to act, okay? You don't have to hold something back because what if they really understand who I am and my weaknesses and my shortcomings or if I don't measure up? No, it's all gone because you said that you promised and it has nothing to do with my actions. It's something that you have did, right? And so with that is that's what... Jesus says, he says, he makes a promise and a commitment to us. And we get to say, you're going to get the good, the bad, and the ugly, the true self. And when you do that, and you offer that, what happens is it leads you to true intimacy. That deepest place that that relationship can go. And you find the potential you have in that relationship. All of a sudden, everything that relationship could be happens and can be. And it's powerful. Okay? And that's why when Zachariah sings of this promise, he says, we can go to the bank. We can count on this Israel. It is powerful. And that power transforms us. Okay? He calls it the horn of salvation, this gospel power. And horn on an animal is its sign of strength. And that salvation is powerful. He says, we don't have to be afraid anymore. We're occupied by Israel. They're here forever. Israel has known enemies trying to destroy them. And he says, we don't have to worry about that any longer. And it's not just a political statement he's making. He says, there's been something shifted in our souls with this gospel message. Not afraid of him. We can serve him. Our eyes are focused on him because we win because he came. That's what we have right? Um, he says, who cares about Rome? I'm not even thinking about them anymore. Our eyes are on, on this cross that's coming in heaven and what we have to do here. No longer is he worried about the occupation of Rome. I would say there's more beautiful, bigger fish to fry. Um, and that's what God does with us. In Romans 8, it calls us more than conquerors. What's more than a conqueror? Uh, being a, a coach and, and sports guy, uh, it's this, okay? Um, if you win by a field goal in football, right, uh, then, whoa, boy, that was lucky. Whew, barely got through that one. If you lose by a field goal, then you spend forever talking about if, if, what, you know, all this stuff, right? Seahawks fans, we know all about that, right? Right? Exactly. You know, excuses. But if you go and win by five touchdowns, 
Guess what conversations you're having? <laughs> We're good. We're real good, right? We're awesome. We're, I think we might be unbeatable, right? And that's what it says in Romans. You are more than conquerors. This promise came to you. You can reach your full potential, be everything God has you to be, because you didn't just slide into the gospel story and eternity and salvation. Uh, you just blew its doors down and destroyed it in the name of Jesus Christ, right? That's what we do. We're more than conquerors. So this gospel promise brings us power. And that's what Zacharias wants us to hear is he saying about this promise of our powerful gospel, and we can have that. And then he moves on and talks about the song, and he says it's a song of a preparation, a song of a preparation. Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. I love how it starts here. Because you really have to, you know, look at this. Zachariah is singing to John. I wonder if he's in his arms. I think he might be. Because you, you just see this, he's looking at him, and he's proud. You're going to be the prophet of the Most High. That's Jesus, Messiah, Savior. You're going to be the prophet for him. Parents, you know exactly what I mean. You know when your kid does that good thing, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a public reward or they're nice to their sister, like just a miracle happens, right? Um, you know what I mean? And, and you see that, or you see your kids play together. Remember that? When your kids hang out, and they find just deep joy with each other, and you get that feeling, just overwhelming pride. And I think Zachariah had that, just looking at this child, John, think, wow. He says, you're going to be the prophet the voice, right? You're going to prepare people. You're going to be John the baptizer is what we call him. You're going to prepare people for Messiah. Wow. It's crazy. But what is John's job? What, what does prepare his ways mean? He's not going to bring salvation. He's going to give knowledge but he's going to talk about salvation through the forgiveness of sin. That's what Jesus and only Jesus can do. But what he's going to do is talk to these Jewish people. People, and you have to understand the Jewish culture. I mean, to us as believers in uh, New Testament people, it is actually embarrassing to go even meet a Jewish child of how well they know their scriptures. They know them so well. And they know the scriptures, right? And um, so in that, he's, these people know the scriptures. They know the laws. They try to live these laws out. They want to live them out so much they added more to it. And they just packed in all this stuff, this lifestyle, and their head is just stuffed with knowledge of God. And John came in and said, you're going to miss it by 18 inches. Because I need to get this thing from your head down to your heart. I need to get this thing down here where your heart is cultivated and prepared for Jesus. It's something called repentance. I mean, it's, it's a heart that's ready to receive uh, the greatest message ever. And that is of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. But you have to have a heart that's ready to hear it. And that's what John's doing. He's coming out. He's coming hard, right? And he wants to prepare the heart of the people. 
So how does God prepare our hearts today? I love it. He, he uses the full trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to do it. John 6, it tells us that we can't come to the Father. He has to draw us. So the Father, God Father, draws us unto himself. And the Son, Jesus, comes in and pays the price so that we can make that trip from where we're at to relationship and intimacy with the Father. He goes to the cross. He dies for us, sheds his blood, cleanses us, goes to the grave and has victory over the grave so that we can go be with the Father forever. That's the Son's work of cultivating, drawing our heart. And the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts us of sin, stirs us up to say, okay, no, 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 this. No, no, I feel it. And he draws us toward the Son's work, and we trust it and believe it by faith, and we usher into relationship with the Father. We do that, and I love this. When we take that step of faith, the Holy Spirit comes in and seals us. Sign, sealed, and delivered. It is done. You are now going to be kept until Jesus returns or you go to victory, right? We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, that is how God cultivates a heart. But he does this other thing that's cool, too. He still uses voices. They're called ambassadors, right? Ambassadors, Romans 8 tells us, are people who speak on God's behalf, calling us back to him. I was thinking as I was studying the scripture this week, um, who was my ambassador? Who helped cultivate my heart so the soil was ready to receive the kingdom seed? There's this guy named Brent. I started working for the Forest Service when I was 15. They did a special program, so before you're 16, you can go work in the summers. Did that, worked there all through college. I had a few stints. I went full-time to be a land surveyor. I thought that was going to be my life, is being a land surveyor. I loved it. And then God tapped me on the shoulder and said, I've got some other work for you. It's called full-time ministry. Um, but this guy I met when I was 15, and I worked with him the whole time, was a Christian. Wasn't a pushy guy. In fact, the first day I met him, um, uh, he had to come in and tell the employees that he got his uh, girlfriend pregnant. So that's when the first day I met him. Uh, and he was in early because he had to go get, um, go to court for his DWI, right? Um, but I come to learn this guy is a Christian, so of course you're going to pay attention to that. Um, but this guy, I watched him grow and mature and live out a faith that was real. He was not pushy with me. I was a typical teenage knucklehead, okay? And you could fill in the blank, right? And I was that, okay? And he had to live that and hear the goofy stories and all the whatever, you know? Um, he was just faithful. Talk about God and Jesus when it was appropriate, you know, but not forced it. Uh, when it came to make decisions, he talked about praying and waiting on God. It was incredible. And I watched him. It got to a place I started asking him questions. Like, if you're not going to talk about this God thing, that's cool. I'd ask him questions. And we did that for, man, a long time. I got saved late or in college, not away from him. He wasn't there. But God used him as a voice to cultivate this heart. So I want to ask you a question. Since I'm talking about this, who did God use to cultivate your heart? And I just want to take a second, in the silence of your own mind and your heart, to say thank you. Was it your mom? Was it your dad? Brother, sister, aunt, uncle, friend, teacher, pastor, Sunday school teacher. Who was it? Just take a second to say thank you to them because you're here and look at the journey you're on. And I pray there's some of you that that person who's cultivating your heart is right next to you right now.
You know, they're just loving Jesus because it's such an important message, this gospel message that has Zacharias booming out. So he goes on. And we see that this is a song of a peace. It has a destination. It's going somewhere. Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And I love this. It starts with God's heart. The tender mercy of God. Why is Christmas this kind of beautiful, flowing, a lot of times dark with light kind of season? Because it's reflecting the tenderness of God. This is a tender, beautiful season that's inspired by God's love to his people. And it's beautiful. So I just love how this goes in. And remember, this is Hebrew poetry, so if I could speak Hebrew, I could probably say something cool right now. Uh, so just believe me, it's beautiful and powerful, uh, the love that God has. And I do pray over you this season that it's a beautiful season for you because it's intended to be. Then it talks about God's light. And that's talking about Jesus here. This is specifically talking about Jesus, God's light. John 8, 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. <clears throat> Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is talking about Jesus. And what I love about this, if you look closer at this thing, um, that this light is for all people. The phrase, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, is actually from the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, talking about the Gentiles. So right in this first Christmas, talking about this Jesus light, this light of the world is a light for all people, for Gentiles. And this is huge. This early in the gospel, we're talking about the Gentiles? Yeah, we're talking about the Gentiles. It's always been his plan. God's gospel, this Christmas story is for all people. Because these are people, these Gentiles, uh, that are sitting in darkness. They don't know as God calls in his chosen people and then extends as his plan was to everybody. You are sitting here right now in the shadow of this powerful, beautiful expression that this gospel, this light of Jesus is for all people. Because we're Gentiles. We're not Jews. Well, some of you might be Jews. We'll talk about that later, okay? Um, um, but... Light of the world is for all people. And in Scripture, light always represents life. Light always represents life. And darkness represents death. And when you look at light and darkness, okay, darkness is simply the absence of things. And light is something that always has a source. There's something causing the light. Okay? Darkness never overcomes light. When light comes in, light always replaces darkness, moves it out, it's away, it's defeated. Okay. Where there is light, there's life in Jesus Christ. And death or darkness will always be moved out. Every recess of your life, when light comes in, when the light of the world comes in, death and darkness go away. They are defeated. And that's what he's saying is this beautiful expression of this Christmas promise is that this light, this Jesus that uh, I met in the womb, I've heard about it, the angel told me, and I'm bursting out to sing to you. 
is going to defeat death for all people. You know, this weekend, uh, uh, it was incredible. I guess uh, last weekend, uh, I got to be the van driver for the seniors ministry. I think I might have told you how excited I was about this. Kind of a returning to my roots, if you would, a ministry. And, uh, and so here the folks are. We went up to the lights of Christmas. And we, uh, uh, and I, I don't know how many lights, millions of lights up there. It's absolutely crazy. Again, you need to do this. Something you have to do. Wouldn't say it's going to necessarily change your life, but it's really cool. Okay, so, uh, but it's awesome. So we went up there, and this is toward the end. And Paul brought a devotion to us. And he talked about Jesus as the light of the world. But he shared this verse with us in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Talking about all of us. We are lights of the world, not hidden under a bushel to display good works and glorify God. What it's saying is, is uh, we are not the light of the world, but we're lights of the world. We are to radiate, reflect this gospel light, this Jesus, this light of the world. That we have an opportunity to do that and impact the world. And so what happens is it says at the end of this scripture, it gives us the destination of this song, of the gospel message that Zacharias is singing out. It says this, it's to guide our feet, because light is always a guide, to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the destination. It is peace. But here's interesting. I was studying this word, just looking through the original language, and what does that mean, peace? And I love this. I like it when I didn't come to an exact answer because I think this is one of those that does, it's not an exact answer. What it is, uh, it talked about an understanding for the Jewish people of understanding that, oh, this is the gospel message. Uh, yeah, Messiah is here. Good, wonderful. Uh, it, it talked about, now, now they uh, had an understanding of the journey they'd be on. Wonderful, good. They understand the joy of the gospel message, good, wonderful, because here's what I believe today for us, that this destination of peace in the name of Jesus Christ and only Acts 4 tells us by the name of Jesus Christ, okay, that we are ushered, guided into peace, that peace lands where you need it. What do you bring in today? What peace do you need? That's the peace it's talking about. Do you need hope today? It's talking about that. Do you need encouragement? It's talking about that. Do you need love? Do you need support? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need understanding that you don't have? Do you need a greater measure of faith? That's the piece it's talking about. And I love this. This one word, it says this piece represents wholeness. The wholeness of time, it's coming together. And that's what it is for all of us, all the needs of peace that are out here, all of us. He's going to guide us to that place. And it lands in one place, and that's the feet of Jesus. He carries it. It's a wholeness, and that's the peace that it's talking about. I'm going to invite the worship team as we look at, so what do we do with Zachariah's song? This song that he's burst out. He couldn't keep it. He's like, ugh, it's coming out. This gospel promise. It's not, a, it's not a Christmas story. It's a Christmas promise because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and in that, what do we do with it? I think we can learn something from the follow-up verse. Verse 80, Luke 1. And the child grew, and this is talking about John the baptizer. 
And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. This is going to be a father-like son scenario. What did John do? Well, John grew and became strong in spirit. So he grew in stature, right? Grew up. But he also spiritually grew. And then it says he went to the desert. And in Scripture, the wilderness, the desert, uh, represents testing and preparation. A lot of the prophets went and prepared. We saw Jesus before his public ministry, right, went to the wilderness. And he got prepared. And then he came out, and John served his public ministry. You know what he's doing? He's following the footsteps of his father, Zechariah, who sang this song, right? Let's go back to the temple. He heard a message. There was a visitation. There was a redemption he came to learn about. He heard this gospel message. And then he went to his time out. His time to think about it, to process it, to take it in. He heard Mary talking about the Messiah. He saw his son, John, leap in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit when Messiah came. He saw that. He heard Elizabeth and Mary talk about this experience. And Zachariah, this father, when that voice was loosened up, he gave that gospel out. He sang that song, that Christmas promise. He sang it out. And the best illustration I could think of to give is that of breathing. We look at this gospel message. How do we handle, how do we express it? You've got to take it in because that's what Zachariah did. It's what John did. You've got to let it do its work and you've got to give it out. That's the gospel. It's like breathing. Okay? If you inhale and don't exhale, are you breathing? Uh, no. Okay? Um, just so you just, I'll give you the answer. Okay? Stop sweating. Um, no, you're not. Okay? I think you pass out. There's probably some doctors in the house. Uh, Chris, what would happen? I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. If you just exhaled and didn't inhale, what would happen? I don't know. Something bad. I'm just not a doctor, okay? And I don't play one on TV. So on that is something bad happens, okay? Breathing is inhaling and exhaling. The gospel, John 2 says, without faith, without works, excuse me, faith is what? Dead. No life. Okay? The gospel is meant to be taken in like a breath and do its great work. Okay? To give life to the body. And it's to be exhaled. Carbon dioxide, it, uh, monoxide, that is a, when you exhale, that gives life. I know too much of it, global warming, all that stuff. But it's essential for life on earth is what we exhale. Part of God's beautiful design. The earth needs us to exhale. Okay? The gospel is like that. The world needs us to inhale the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Take it deep in us. Have it become part of every fiber that we are. And then exhale and give life to all those around us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the Christmas promise. So I'm going to invite the prayer team up right now. And I want to ask you a question.
Where do you need that inhale? You're in that place in the gospel is Christmas promised. Breathe in that gospel. Maybe you've never taken that breath. You're like a newborn baby waiting for that big breath. There's not a more important breath that you could ever take than taking in the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith and saying yes to the work of Jesus Christ. You might be here in this Christmas now. And you know me, I get up here, don't wait another second. There is too much life to be lived to wait because either pride or you're scared of public. You get up here and you pray. Say, Jesus, yes, I don't know what this looks like or feels like, but I'm saying yes to you. Okay? That first inhale breath. Maybe you're somebody that the gospel just needs to do some work in your life. There's just some place, you know, it's a hurt. It, it's some sort of some hang up that's not there, an attitude. It, 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 it's something that it, you don't have victory over in your life. It just has you and it's destroying your life destroying the lives around you. You say, I'm tired of it. I'm exhausted. The gospel wants to do something powerful on that, and that work. And come up. Because what a family does is they pray together. This isn't, you know, there's no magic in this. There's a power in that. And we do it together, right? And that's what it is. And families pray together. You might be someone who needs to exhale. In my church experience, I've watched and I've seen I've seen people just uh, inhale, that's it. They come to church week after week after week after week. They learn more messages. They learn original language. They get knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. You go to every church event in there, and they exhale. Nothing. And they get spiritual anemic. The same way I've watched people exhale. They bring no Jesus in. They just do good, do right, nice, nice, love, 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 love. And they, it's not a Jesus thing anymore. And they get spiritual anemic. So you might need somebody who's, I don't know where, you might need to exhale. The world may need you. I know uh, we need you. And the world's dying out there to know about your Jesus. A lot of us here know Jesus. So wonderful. Go out there. They need it. Your coworkers, your families, right? Your neighbors need you to exhale. And maybe you're saying, I'm tired of being scared. I'm tired of it. I'm going to be like Zacharias. I'm not going to be afraid of Rome any longer. I'm saying yes to this powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to exhale. So wherever you are in your breathing of this gospel, the Christmas promise is about inhaling and exhaling. And as a family, we come together and we pray. So family, let's pray together. I love you, North Shore. Merry Christmas.